For people who grew up in the 1960s and 70s, there were two songs that captured their religious experience. They were some of the first songs that weren't in hymnals to be accepted by the church because they had such a profound effect on the people who sang them. Both songs worked a lot better with an acoustic guitar than with a piano or an organ. And both were intensely personal and intentionally universal. They were sung from your own experience, but they were meant to impact everybody who heard them and, and sung them. The first was from what might be best described as a hippie teen musical from 1969. The teen musical was called Tell It Like It Is. Uh, the closing song went like this, and feel free to sing along if you know this. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up to its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread his love to everyone. You want to pass it on. Now, first service has a lot older people because they all knew that song, I think. Uh, that song became a ballad for sharing your faith. It was sung at campfires. It was uh, sung around campfires. It was sung at conventions and conferences. It eventually was even sung in traditional, respectable churches. The second song was a folk song as well. It was written in 1966 in a minor key with a haunting melody. It was written for a teen choir in Illinois. And it was a battle cry for unity within Jesus' church. A church that at that time, like today, was really kind of deeply divided between Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Episcopals and non-denominationals. It went like this. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. It was a song with strong theology. The text was written from Jesus' prayer for unity in John 17. And from these words in John 13 from Jesus. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. What a concept, right? That the world could see Jesus in us, that everyone around could tell that Jesus was in us by the way that we loved each other. And so... We love our spouse and we love our kids intensely, right? And, and it, it actually works. There are some people who recognize Jesus is doing something to you by the way that you love your family. But most kids who don't have any relationship with, most people who don't have any relationship with Jesus at all still love their spouse and still love their kids. Unless they're teenagers, right? No, no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, and so 
we recognize there has to be more. So we love the people in our life group, or we love the people that we come here to North Point with. And so we eat meals together, we watch each other's kids. When somebody is in the hospital or grieving or has a baby, we fix meals and take care of them. And, and we think, yes, they'll know we're Christians by our love. But in our hearts, we know that Jesus was really talking about more than just that. Certainly, loving people that we're in relationship with makes a ton of sense. That's going to be a natural part of our life and our love for Jesus. But the impact of the disciples of Jesus has been exponentially greater throughout history when it's not been done just in that context. The, the gospel has been irresistible when disciples of Jesus have shown love to people that they weren't related to at all. A disciple, if you remember, is someone who what? Follows Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So if we're Jesus' disciples, we're going to go where Jesus went to love. Our hearts are going to be changed so that we'll love people that we wouldn't otherwise. And we're going to love in a way that carries out the mission of Jesus, if we're his disciples. How do, how do we do that? What's that look like? James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, spelled it out. Jake finished his message last week with these words from James chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. If you've got that, the North Point app, open it up. And these words from James 1.26 were the conclusion of, Jacob's, of, of Jake's message last week. But we're going to really land today in verse 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Here's verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Did you hear what, what James wrote? Religion that God thinks matters, that God thinks is pure and faultless, is to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. You know, when I was studying this week, I, I learned something incredibly interesting. You know what the Greek words um, for orphans and widows mean in the original language? They mean orphans and widows. It's amazing. It, it means kids who have been abandoned by their parents or their parents have died. It means women whose husbands have died and didn't have anyone to take care of. Pure and, and, um, pure and faultless religion is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. In the, in the culture of the first century in Rome, Roman fathers could choose when a baby was born whether to accept that baby into their family or not. When the baby was born, typically it would be brought to the father, and if the father picked it up, it would become a welcome member of the family. If it was a boy, if it was a healthy boy especially, that was no big deal at all. But if it was a girl, a female baby, or if it was a baby that had some kind of physical deformity or handicapped, the father oftentimes would turn away from the baby and walk away. And that baby was taken to the outside of the city and just simply disposed of. It was abandoned there, where the baby would typically die from disease or, or uh, starvation, um, from attacks from animals, from exposure or disease. If the baby happened to survive, the child would grow up and be prey for people who would use children for despicable purposes. 
In the first century, women whose husbands died were in dire straits. They were in, in a very difficult place. They didn't have anyone to take care of them because in the first century, women um, couldn't own land. Land was only owned by men. Inheritance came only through the man, not through the woman. Financial support came through the man, not the, not the woman. So that when the man died, when the husband died, the woman was without any kind of financial support. She didn't have IRAs. She didn't have pension. There was no social security. If her children were not there to care for her, she would become destitute and dependent on wherever and however she could raise money to take care of her needs. Why did James, in writing to the church, identify widows and orphans when he said, pure and faultless religion is this, to take care of, to visit widows and orphans? Why widows and orphans? Because they were the most vulnerable members of society in the Roman culture. They were the most vulnerable. They were helpless. Now, the, the, the question for us today is, as we look and read what James wrote and then try and extrapolate that, apply it to our lives here in 2017, it begs the question, who are the people who are the most vulnerable in our society today? Who are the people who are like the widows and orphans in the first century? The people who are exploited, people who are marginalized, people who are vulnerable and who are helpless. You know, it's easy to, to begin to let your mind spin and begin to make a list, right? I, I'm, I'm really aware right now of, of some dementia patients, people who have been abandoned by their family, and, and they don't know who they are, where they are, and they're just there being taken care of, not being loved. Kids in, foster, in the foster care system are incredibly vulnerable as they're moved from house to house to house with caseworkers who have way too many children on, in, in, their, uh, in their supervision. Children who are developmentally disabled are often incredibly vulnerable. Children whose parental rights have been terminated. Children who are caught in human trafficking. Homeless. Single moms. Immigrants that come to, to a new country. Refugees people who suffer from mental disease, from mental health issues, people caught up in addiction, incredibly vulnerable. Worldwide, it's children. It really is not that much different than it was in the first century. Widows and orphans, their plight hasn't changed. Understand this, the most vulnerable in every culture, in every time, matter to God tremendously. The most vulnerable matter to God. In, in, uh, as God gave his law to Moses in Exodus, he wrote these words in Exodus 22. Don't take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows. Your children, fatherless. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. King David, in writing the Psalms, wrote in Psalm 82, Defend the weak and the fatherless, 
uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Do you hear the heart of God in those scriptures? God cares desperately about those people who are vulnerable in our, in our culture, in our time, right here and right now. You know, the question is, are there people like that today? Are there people who are incredibly vulnerable around us? Worldwide, the World Health Organization, worldwide, um, uh, WHO tells us that last year, 5.6 million children under the age of five died last year. 15,000 kids a day worldwide most of them from preventable diseases. If they just had antibiotics, the three leading causes of death are pneumonia, diarrhea, and malaria. All that can be treated for, for just a few dollars. Incredibly vulnerable. Here in Michigan, there are 14, more than 14,000 children in the foster care system in Michigan. More than 3,000 this year will be eligible to be adopted. That's incredible how many vulnerable kids there are right around us. The numbers of abuse and neglect for elderly are a lot harder to put your, your uh, finger on. It's hard to get good, firm figures. But um, in the stuff that I read, it said as many as 5 million elderly each year are victims of abuse or neglect. So James said, pure and faultless religion is this, to care for, those, for orphans and widows, for those most vulnerable. What, what, uh, what did James mean when he said to go visit um, orphans and widows? Now, I did some study of that word. That word's an interesting thing. It means to look after, to inspect, to examine with the eyes, to care for that person. And what's implied in that is that there is a, a relationship that develops. A connection that it's not to just visit and stop and say hi and be gone, but that it builds some kind of relationship with that person as you care for them. It's not simply to take care of their physical needs. It's not simply to write a check and say, oh, you know what, this will make sure that they have food. Visit implies relationship. It implies this connection with the people that you go to visit. If we were to just write a check, that'd be great. But the love that the distinguishes us as disciples of Jesus, they'll know we are Christians by our love. The love that distinguishes us is a love that, cause us, that calls us to engage with the most vulnerable, to engage with widows and orphans. It's not a snapshot kind of a, a, kind of a treatment, but an ongoing movie, an ongoing relationship. A program to help care for orphans and widows is not the answer. A personal involvement is. And you know what that means? That means it's messy. That means that it's inconvenient to be in a relationship with someone who's, who's vulnerable, somebody who's in a bad place. It means that it's costly, that it's going to cost time and energy and money. But that's pure and faultless religion, according to James. So what do we do? How do we respond? How can we make a difference? How can we make a difference? One of the ways that we talk about, that we've talked about, that we're talking about today, is to partner with Compassion International and take care of children around the world 
who are in desperate place for $38 a day, or not a day, $38 a month, a little bit more than a dollar a day, you have the ability to take care of the physical needs, shelter, and food for a child. For $38 a month, you have the ability to take care of their educational needs, to make sure that, they're, that they have an opportunity to learn to read and write. For $38 a month, you have the ability to make sure that that child is being introduced to the gospel of Jesus and meeting Jesus, hearing the story of God's love for them. For $38 a month, you have the ability to help make sure that their medical needs are being taken care of. I'm a big believer in Compassion International. You know, uh, about a year ago, we had a Sunday, just like today, where we challenged people. We had... had, um, packets with kids uh, pictures and names and their stories throughout the auditorium and um, but somewhere between 60 and 80 families at North Point began to sponsor kids a year ago over a hundred kids in Ecuador which is incredibly cool Ecuador and around the world the chance to make a difference in the life of that kid physically spiritually educationally medically now, uh, I read this this week. One of the things, one of the reasons why I love Compassion is because they're committed to the whole child. And when when a child who's a part of a Compassion project um, ends up in a medical situation that they need help, Compassion comes in and helps rescue them. This summer in Esmeraldas, Ecuador, in the in the region where we helped plant that church and where we we um, sponsor a number of kids, there's a, a little boy named Stephen. 11 years old. He's a, a compassion child. He went to church on a Sunday morning, and that afternoon he was captured by some, some teenagers uh, in, in the village where he was. They um, doused him with gasoline and set him on fire. Stephen ran down the streets and jumped into a river to put the flames out. They rescued him from the river and took him to the hospital. But, but the medical care in Ecuador is not like it is here. And Stephen just continued to decline, was at the point of death. His kidney shut down. Um, they, Compassion asked people to pray. And eventually, Compassion airlifted him out of Ecuador and brought him to the U.S. to get treatment for his burns. Four months later, uh, Stephen has, has begun to recover. His kidneys are working again. His body's working together. He's at the place now that he's begun to do the physical therapy, the, the rehabilitation to regain use of his body. To, he has to learn how to eat again. He has to learn how to walk again, to use his arms. The cost for Stephen's care for this kid in Esmeraldas, Ecuador, is going to approach a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000. And compassion has covered every penny of that. They care about the medical needs, the spiritual needs, the physical needs of each child. I believe in them um, completely. Um, a number of years ago, uh, a family from, uh, from here at North Point, uh, the Brambles, were challenged to think about sponsoring a kid. Um, here's Lori and Michaela Bramble from St. John's telling their story. So do you remember when we were at the Youth Christian Conference in Florida and you decided to sponsor Dasha Mamana? Yeah, and I was nine at the time. And... A lady came on the stage and she was sharing her testimony and everybody in the audience was just entranced in what she had to say and 
what spoke to me the most was just how much um, compassion and somebody sponsoring her changed her life. And I ended up crying and I just know that God was breaking my heart so that I was able to see and put myself in her shoes and to think about the children all over the world that are like this. And I just, I knew that God was prompting me and I needed to do something. He did um, that gift for her where compassion allows you to pick what, you know, what they may need in their in their country, like where they're living and what, what would be the most benefit to them. Yeah. And we ended up getting to give her a goat. Yes. And... Yeah some food she ended up getting some clothes and some yeah. candy because you know girls gotta have their yes. <laughs> girls gotta have their clothes and their candy yeah. and it was just cool because um, compassion allows you to write letters and we got that picture yeah with yeah. her wearing her new clothes the goat the chickens everything that you could give yeah. and it's just amazing to see what a difference God can make through you yes and just Absolutely. to see how far a little can go. So the great thing is that anyone can sponsor a child right from their own home and for about a dollar a day. Yeah, and they it's something that not a lot of people think of because I certainly think that I could be doing so much more with my life. And But then you sit back and realize like you can make a difference in somebody's life and you can be praying for them and helping them in their walk and, and they help you in, in your walk with God too. Yes. And it's honestly a two-way encouragement with the letters and everything like that. And it's just, it's such a blessing to see that they're getting so much out of this and that you can truly make a difference and, yeah. you know, all the way from, from where we are. Yeah. God calls us to be the helpers and the hands and feet of what his, you know, glory, bring glory to his kingdom. And what better way to do that but to help those in need and to, to show them what it means to love Jesus. We all have so much. And here in America, everybody is rich compared to the kids in these villages and these families and going to the Dominican and actually on the mission strip and seeing these villages and these kids and we, we experienced firsthand yeah like what these children and families go through on a yeah. daily basis and just how much they truly are crying out for someone to, to help yeah. I have a dream it, I, I would love it if every Sunday as we come together as a church there are conversations in the hallways that happen over and over and over again from families that say, oh, I got a letter from my child in Ecuador, and this is what's going on. Somebody else is saying, oh, you know what? I got a letter from my child in Africa, and this is what's going on. My child has finished the program. They're 18 years old. They're going to university or whatever. What an incredible opportunity for us as a church to encourage each other, to make a difference around the world. In... Uh, at Christmas 2015, we had a special offering to help raise money to help plant a church in Ecuador in a little village called K9 because it's nine kilometers from San Lorenzo in Esmeraldas in the northern section of Ecuador. 
We helped plant that church, and a year ago, we, uh, we offered an opportunity for people to, to uh, sponsor the kids there, about 150 kids total. A hundred of those children were sponsored by people from North Point. Incredibly cool thing. When we started this morning, there were 34, 36 children that still didn't have sponsors after a year. 36. Our desire is that today that, that we would finish that job, that we would do that. Um, and so I want to challenge you. If, if you're not sponsoring a kid, if you don't sponsor a child, uh, um, after the service today, go out to the table out by the missions kiosk and find um, the information packet on one of those children and choose to sponsor them. $38 a month. Let me, let me just show you some of the kids that are there in the village. This is Jerley. Can you see that little smile on her face up there? Really, really fun. She's uh, born in 2009. I, I guess I did bad math for service. I think that makes her eight years old, right? Go to the next one. This is Jonathan, seven years old. Next one. Jennifer, 10 years old. Next one. Adriana. However old that is, eight eight years old. <laughs> um, first service, twenty four of the thirty no twenty two of the of the thirty six were taken. We've got twelve or fourteen left. I hope if you're not sponsoring a kid today that that you will take advantage of the opportunity to do that because your life will change. If you already sponsor a child, let me give you a specific challenge. Go home today and write a letter to your child. It may, maybe it's been a few weeks or a few months since you have done that. Do that because you don't have any concept of how important that correspondence is to those children. Uh, when we were there in November two years ago uh, in Ecuador, uh, it was so interesting to see a child with their packet of letters from their sponsor up on a shelf wrapped in plastic so that they wouldn't be damaged by the rain. Valuable treasures right to your child. Let me challenge you with this as well. If you sponsor a child, um, would you really seriously consider, pray about going in February with us to Ecuador? Um, uh, through the generosity of, of someone, we've reduced the, the cost from about $2,800 to $1,000 for an eight-day trip to Ecuador, $1,000. I, I would challenge you to go because it'll be great for you. You'll see God work in ways that you can't imagine. It will open up your world, your, your mind to a world that you didn't know existed. Even more than that, if you go on that trip and you sponsor a child there, for you to go and be able to love, physically hug that child, to talk to them, to take them some gifts. It will change that child's life because they will know that someone has come from thousands of miles away, from thousands of miles away to be with them. That you believe that they're important. That you care about their spiritual well-being. It's an incredible Opportunity. Now, some of you may be saying, you know what? Does sponsorship really matter? Does it really make a difference? Out of that money, how much really goes to the kids? With compassion, 83% is, I think, the, the right number. So 83 cents of every dollar that you send goes directly to the care of that child. 17 cents is, is a small amount for nonprofits to use for all of their overhead. Compassion is a big organization. Um, 
Even more important, um, you may be saying, uh, does it really work? Does it change the life of the child? Um, in, the, in the North Point app, in the sermon notes today, there's a link that you can go to. You can click on that link, and it, and it describes a study that was done about four years ago asking that very question. It's a great study, and the results, with compassion in particular, were incredible in terms of the difference that it made, how, how a child's life was changed by sponsorship. James said, religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, to keep, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I can't work through this verse without paying some attention to the last half of the verse as well, as, as pure and faultless religion. What's that last half? To keep oneself unstained by the world. How do you do that? How, how do you guard your self so that you don't be polluted by the world? Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. One of the ways we keep from being polluted by the world is that we manage what's going on in our heads. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. Peter wrote and said, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. We live with, with this draw to Jesus that calls us to a holy lifestyle that's different from the world. That keeps us from being polluted. It's not that we're scared of the world. It's that we're so enamored, so caught up with the beauty of Jesus that the garbage, the stuff, doesn't stick. Some real practical things. How do you keep yourself from being polluted by the world? Guard what you see, watch what you watch, and what you read. Pay attention, guard what you watch what, uh, on television. Guard what you see on the internet. Guard what movies you go to, guard what books that you read. Because what goes in matters to us. Guard where you go. For a lot of us, sometimes we end up in a, in a situation where it's like, how did, I, how did I even land in this mess that I'm in? So far from God. And it started by going to, to a place that we knew that we shouldn't have gone in the first place. Guard what you do. Guard the things that you do as well. Uh, when I was working on this, I started the message with a song. When In this section, the song that just kept coming to my mind was, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful. Yeah, okay. Um, guard what you see. Guard where you go. Guard what you do. And most importantly, fill yourself with the real deal. Fill yourself with Scripture. Fill yourself with music that honors God. Fill yourself with Jesus. Because when he comes in and fills us completely, when we have more and more of Jesus, the stain of the world, the pollution of the world, runs away from us. It doesn't stick. If we're serious about knowing about the world, if we're serious about the world knowing that we're disciples of Jesus because of our love, our love has to extend beyond our families and friends. It has to reach to the most vulnerable people in our society and around the world. Deb and I help take care. We help sponsor three children. William and Catherine are in San Lorenzo Esmeraldas in Ecuador. They're both 10 years old. We've sponsored them for about three years. 
William and Catherine. Really, really cool. One of them, Catherine has the same birth date as our uh, youngest daughter. Uh, William has asthma, like our teenage son. We also sponsor Christopher in K-9. We began to sponsor him last year. You know what? We help provide for their physical needs, for their educational needs, for their spiritual needs, for their medical needs. It's not, it's not a lot, but it's making a difference. For three kids, feels like it's a drop in the bucket, doesn't it? But it matters to William and Catherine and Christopher. Maybe they'll live to be adults. Maybe we'll see them in heaven. Maybe we'll see their kids in heaven because we were able to sponsor them. About six years ago, Deb got a call from a friend of a friend asking if she could watch a little girl who had literally been rescued from a home of neglect. Elena's mom was addicted to drugs. Her dad was an alcoholic. Elena's aunt had been asked to care for her temporarily in order for her to be rescued from the home. Elena was two and a half years old and was developmentally delayed um, so severely that we thought that she was a special needs kid. Deb agreed to care for her and began to love on this little girl during the day in a way that complemented the way that her aunt took care of her and loved on her at night. We began to adjust to the special care that Elena needed. And several weeks later, Elena's aunt called and with a great deal of fear asked Deb if she could begin the next day, I think, to watch a six-month-old baby as well. She had discovered that Elena had a little brother who needed rescued from the home. When Cameron came to our house, he had spent the first six months of his life in a playpen, not being held, not being talked to, not being shown any love at all. And at six months old, he had all of the problems that you would expect growing up in that kind of environment. Deb began to love on Cameron as well. For the next two and a half years, our house was a bit of a zoo as those two kids struggled to catch up and to learn how to love and to learn how to be loved. When I would come home from work, my job was to rescue Deb uh, because those two little guys were exhausting and they were worth every struggle. Here's a picture of them with Deb. One of the hardest things about moving to Michigan and coming to North Point for us was leaving Cam and Elena. They were right here in the U.S., in a place that, that is not all that different than exists not 10 miles, uh, not 10 minutes from this church. And they were as vulnerable and in as much danger as they could be. Cam and Elena, two drops in a bucket. You know, you think, can we make a difference? How big is the problem? Five, there are five BBs in this bucket right now. I told you at the beginning of the message a little bit ago, 15,000 children under the age of five will die today because of preventable disease. You know how much 15,000 is? The hard part is 
that's deafening when it starts. But when you get to the end of that 15,000, it just is kind of white noise that's there in the background. None of us can take care of all 15,000 today, but we can make the difference in the life of one. All I can say is it has to stop. If we're serious about following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, being committed to the mission of Jesus, we have to take seriously the word the words from James about caring for, for widows and orphans. You can't personally take care of 15,000, but you might be able to take care of one. Is God calling you to sponsor a child through compassion that lives in K-9 in, in Ecuador? Go to the missions kiosk immediately following the service. Is God calling you to explore foster care or adoption? Go home today and begin to make contacts and start that process. Is God prompting you to take care of the elderly in a way that you've never thought of before? Maybe to go and visit and just love on some people that are there. Is God calling you today to some other segment of the population that is the most vulnerable right now? Respond to that prompting because Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Impacting 50,000 people in five years with the grace of Jesus can only happen if we're serious about being disciples of Jesus. If we're in a relationship with him, if we've given our hearts to him, the most natural thing in the world will be that it will spill out into every aspect of our lives that it will be something that happens both spontaneously and intentionally. Next Sunday, I'd like for you to come prepared to share the number of people that you've impacted with the grace of Jesus since March. Check your journal, look back at your calendar, uh, just spend some time praying this week to say, God, who have I done that with over the, these last six months? And come with that number this, this next week. We want to know that if this is something, we want to know if this is something that we're just talking about up front or if it's actually happening. And that's why, that's why I want you to come with a number next week. Your response will help us know. When we leave today, at each door, there's going to be an usher, somebody there that's going to give you a BB to walk away with today. I want to encourage you to take that BB and put it in your pocket, put it in your purse. And every time you see that BB, every time you touch it, Think, who are the most vulnerable, God, that you're calling me to? Who are the widows and orphans that you're calling me to? Maybe you sponsor a child and, and touching that BB will prompt you to pray for William or Catherine, or Christopher, or the name of your child. If you want to get really crazy, take that BB and put it in your shoe and walk around on it. It'll remind you, God will prompt you. Who are the most vulnerable people, God, that you want me to make a difference in their lives? They'll know we are Christians by our love to the most vulnerable. Let's pray. God, in a message like this, I, I just, I get overwhelmed by how broken the world is. God, to think about the number of kids who die that don't need to, it's hard to grasp. 
to think about children who get shuttled from home to home who don't know what love is. It hurts. Think about kids who don't know what family means. God, to think about seniors who struggle, who don't have any contact with people because their families have gone away or ignored them. Lord, our desire is that you would use us, that our relationship with you, our religion would be pure and faultless and that we would live it out. God, it's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for it to become white noise. It's just there, the problem's too big. Help us make a difference, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.